Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, and come on people, it's free, Visit lynda.com slash WWII. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash WWII. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. That'd be me. Go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Some of the courses I recommend are the ones for WordPress and video and audio editing, but there's other more, you know, day-to-day ones like Excel 2013 Power Shortcuts, Income Tax Fundamentals, and Going Paperless Start to Finish. I've been taking Lynda.Courses courses on creating apps, website development, WordPress, things like that, and I really do like it. And for all my family members out there, you will be seeing tons of videos, well, crafted videos on Disney World. For everyone else who's considering the free 10-day trial, with lynda.com membership, you get to watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching. You can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn on your own schedule, at your own pace. Courses are structured so you can watch them from start to finish or consume them in bite-sized pieces. You can browse each course transcript to follow along. Or, and this is what I've been doing, search for an answer and skip to that point in the video. You can also take notes and refer to them later. Download tutorials and watch them on the go, including on your iOS or Android device. And you can also, and this is my favorite part, you can create and save playlists of the courses you want to watch. And that way you can customize your learning path or share with your friends, colleagues, and team members. So, for those of you considering it, lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So, whether you're looking to become an industry expert, or you're passionate about a hobby, say, I don't know, podcasting, or just want to learn something new, I want you to do yourself a favor and visit lynda.com slash WWII and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's lynda.com slash wwii Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast Episode 126 Operation Exporter 
Part 2. Last time, Operation Exporter, the Allied invasion of Vichy-held Syria and Lebanon, had gotten underway. And things were going well enough, despite the loss of armor and the waylaid commandos, who were now all dead. Yet overall, General Jumbo Wilson was pleased. But what he didn't consider was that, along the invaders' path so far, there hadn't really been any places worth defending. The attack was pressed on all points, and finally, Merjeun, some 15 miles inland and just above Tyree, fell after four days of fighting. But even then, it took four days of intense artillery barrages, followed up by an infantry assault. The ghosts from the First World War were awakened. Along the coast, the initial going had been acceptable, but was about to get equally difficult mostly because the invaders were coming ever closer to Beirut and were about to run into real French defensive positions. In fact, within a short time, forces would have to be pulled from the more eastern fronts to help out on the coast, which, of course, affected the fronts there. After the Australians on the coast had crossed the Latani River on June 9th, they found their going much slower and more dangerous. Small but determined groups of Vichy soldiers were dug in and waiting. The Aussies moved them along, but only after much fighting and the losing of men. For example, the journey from Tyree to Sidon, only 20 miles to the north, took almost a week. Because during that time, the attacking Australians along the coast ran into enemy troops well hidden in caves or well camouflaged French tanks who, after getting the jump on the invaders, only retreated after giving a good account of themselves, and after the Allies brought up their heavier guns or called in air support. Yet most of this help came from the sea, as ships off the coast were given the information of where to shell the obstacles in the Aussies' way. That's because their air support was not all it could have been. What with the RAF making sure Admiral Cunningham did not lose more ships and keeping Rommel in check in Egypt, besides gearing up for Operation Battleaxe. Yet when the planes of the British focused on the land forces before the invaders, this freed up the Vichy Navy to leave port and cause their own troubles. But Sedan along the coast was taken, and almost due east so too was Jezine, as the victorious 25th Brigade attacked there after leaving the subdued Merjeun. What's more, the road in between Sidon and Jezine was now in Allied hands. This would prove to be vital, as it was expected that troops would have to be siphoned off from the coast to help those inland, but the reverse of this turned out to be the case. To be sure, as the forces further inland snuck up on Damascus from the south, Their going was difficult, but it was about to reach a whole new level as the Free French took over from the exhausted 5th Indian Brigade after it had taken Kunitra and Sheikh Miskin during the first phase of the war. The Vichy forces before them, as covered previously, were seasoned, tough troops, and once they were informed that coming up against them were the traitors of de Gaulle, they readied a most unpleasant welcome. But the Free French seemed not to take this into account. All they knew was that, on the road near Kiswi, a defensive position had been set up on one of the hills, 
There was another defensive position just a few miles to the north, but one thing at a time. The Free French hit the defenders, who had put their units along one of the hills of black basalt near the road, starting on June 9th, but the men there were well dug in, well equipped, and well motivated. The attackers could not shift the Vichy forces, even though they launched several attacks at them from the 9th to the 13th. One part of the hill was eventually taken, but that was as far as they got, and it was always under the threat of being overrun by the defenders. With this halted Allied attack at Kiswi, just south of Damascus, the Vichy commander, General de Verdilac, in charge of this area, had successfully stopped all Allied advances, north of Sidon, Kiswi, and again north of Jezin. And now de Verdilac was about to do something General Wilson had not counted on. The Vichy were not simply interested in honorably defending their territory before surrendering. They had every intention of driving the Allies out and commenced to do as such. After the Australians had taken Merjayun, and it had taken them almost a week of hard fighting to win there, some of their units were sent out on patrols. Some were sent to Jezin to help out there. This left Merjayun protected by a smaller force. What's more, the city had become the Aussies' main operations and communications base in the area. From Merjayun, they received orders from Palestine to the south. And this was where General de Verdelac was going to start his counter-assault. Sending a relatively small force to Merjayun on June 16th, the Vichy soldiers used their knowledge of the land to sneak past the Free French and the Aussie patrols that ran across practically no one and quickly drove out the reduced Australians from the town, almost to the point where they had started from in the south. Another Vichy force was sent to hit the Aussies at Jezin, and the intensity of that attack compelled units from the coast to come and relieve them. But this then left the coastal offensive reduced, to which their charge up the coast came to a halt. But these were, again, relatively smaller forces counterattacking. The main push was saved for those closest to Damascus, the Free French. But it would have been unwise and a waste of manpower on General de Verdilhac's part to hit the enemy where they were strong. So instead, he had infantry and tanks get past the Free French at Kiswi, undetected, and engage the Royal Fusiliers at Kunitra, east by southeast of Kiswi. The battle there raged all day, but the hardened Vichy carried the day. The men of that attack were well-coordinated and hitting an isolated part of the Allied line. The Vusiliers were pushed back all the way to battalion headquarters, but even then the French came at them. The headquarters became the site of the Fusilier surrender that evening. Just a few days ago, the Fusiliers had their right flank covered by Colonel Collette's Kirkassians and could have been of assistance, but they had since been moved and now covered the right flank of the Free French at Kiswi, given their trouble with clearing the road there. In fact, the Fusilier situation wasn't known by anyone until it was all over. But General de Verdelac wasn't finished. The land to the right of the Allies' right flank may have been desert, but it was land. The British may not have factored it into their plan 
But the Vichy leadership did. On that same day, another force was sent out, comprised of Tunisian infantry, some tanks, and ten armored cars, which had swung far out and then come back in. But instead of taking control of the road behind the Free French attacking Kiswi, they were purposefully sent even further south, and so ended up 30 miles behind the Free French, putting them 10 miles behind the Free French headquarters. Now this Tunisian force controlled the road and the railway at Ezra. The Free French were truly cut off. They just didn't know it. Had the Tunisians more men and more fuel, they could have threatened Sheikh Miskin 40-odd miles to the south. Maybe. But there were enough Allied troops there to forestall a small attack. Besides, some of the Allied units that had recently left Palestine had just entered Sheikh Miskin, so for the moment, it was safe. The only good news for the Allies on this day in this theater were those additional troops that had recently arrived in Palestine and then had been sent scurrying north. The idea was that, at the very least, they would be able to repel the Vichy should they choose to come at Palestine. Fortunately, they did not. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing, it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. One of the reasons for this day's stunning successes for the Vichy forces was, besides their knowledge of the land, their intelligence. The Vichy Air Force was up early and often that day, rarely running into opposition. The information was gathered, thoroughly analyzed, and used by professionals, well-motivated. Again, Wavell had been right. Yet the Allies had one piece of luck in their favor, besides the limited fuel of the defenders, thanks to the British blockade, but may have not known it at the time. The Free French working their way towards Damascus had already been given their assignment before the impressive counterattack, and whether wise or not, ignored all that was going on around them. After all, the idea of a counterattack is to either capture many enemy troops, which had not happened, or force the attackers to retreat to secure their lines of communication and supplies. But the Free French were not turning back. Allied Brigadier Wilfred Lloyd had given the Free French, 6th Battalion strong, a week 
to reach Damascus, but they had not. So he decided on the night of June 15th, the day before the Vichy counterattack, to try something else. Using his own Punjabis, he had them, without a softening up artillery attack, advance on Kiswi from the desert side, while the frustrated Free French remained on the road. And keep in mind that Kiswi was roughly at the center of the Vichy defensive line. Lloyd was hoping surprise would gain him more than artillery shells, and he was right. But there was a certain amount of luck involved. Going around the stalemate along the road, the Indians approached from the desert and used crude ladders to cross over the impressive anti-tank ditch around the city. Luckily, at that moment, there was a changing of the garrison forces, so no one knew who was in charge of what. Kiswi was taken. The defenders were driven out. Now that the town had been secured, Rajputs had come in, made for the northern side of the city, and attacked a hill there, Tel Kiswi, that was being used to help protect the town with artillery. At dawn, the Rajputs attacked, supported by their own artillery. Now that surprise was out of the question. The height was taken, which called for Vichy forces to counterattack. But each wave was defeated, even though the first few had tanks. Having gotten good results from a night attack, Lloyd had his two Indian battalions also take other heights to the west the next night. This first line of Vichy defense now had a gaping hole in it. Yet so did two the Allies' rear sections. In between these two successful Indian incursions came the Vichy counterattack. But Lloyd and the other officers with him decided to keep going. They were well supplied, and their goal was within range. Besides which, within 48 hours, it became clear that many of those counterattacking forces were too small in and of themselves to affect Lloyd's men. Those at Ezra and Kunitra would eventually be withdrawn once any serious opposition came too close. There was other good news for the invaders as well. The Free French had finally sent some of their men west of the road and the Vichy defensive position and captured defended heights to the west of the town. There was now a roundabout way to Damascus. But before that could happen, several, three really, strong points near the town had to be taken. Otherwise, the Allies, once they entered the town, would find enemy forces approaching from at least three different directions, making it impossible to defend themselves. To the southwest of Damascus was an airfield, which the French could use to either allow their senior staff to escape or be resupplied from. To the west, there still remained a few well-fortified forts, not in Allied hands. And to the northwest was a road and rail line that could, again, allow the soldiers at Damascus to retreat or be reinforced from. The idea and the wisdom of this has to be judged somewhat harshly, regardless of the success of the previous night's work, was for the two Indian battalions of the 5th Brigade to clear all three outlying places during a single night of the 18th. Yet these men, probably the best the British had at the time, what with their training and now experience, would be embarking on their third nighttime raid, in only four days. They were exhausted, but willing. 
Problem was, they were missing the vital thing that makes an army dangerous. It supports staff. The reason a unit of men can be an effective killing machine is the men working behind the scenes, the ones who repair or replace broken equipment, the ones who make sure the warriors have enough ammo and other supplies, the ones who allow the fighters to focus on fighting. But those very men had tried to keep up with the Indian brigades, but due to so much nighttime maneuvers and activity and attacks, had gotten separated from those they supported. So the Indians went in on the night of June 18th, not at 100%. Still, they managed to take the airfield, but because of a lack of supplies, they had no anti-tank or artillery equipment with them, which again speaks to their fighting effectiveness. So when the counterattack came, and came with tanks and heavy guns, the surviving Indians were backed into a single building. A few of their number were sent out to sneak through the enemy lines and warn headquarters of their predicament, to which an Australian force was sent to relieve them, but could not get through. A few hours after this failed rescue, the remaining Indian force surrendered, rather than being wiped out with artillery and tank shells. This all but was the end of the too much relied upon three battalions, of the 5th Indian Brigade. There wasn't much General Wilson or the other Allied officers could do for the 5th Brigade at the moment, but perhaps after Operation Battleaxe, the latest Allied plan to push Rommel back to Tripoli, which was to commence on June 15th, was over. One way or the other, forces could be pulled from Egypt to reinvigorate Operation Exporter and save the brave, highly skilled, but all too human, Indian soldiers. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So I just wanted to uh, make a short announcement and then thank my latest members and those who have bought merchandise. So as you know, for the last couple of years, I've been trying to get a World War II um, tour up. Uh, The last year was as close as I've come, but it still didn't have enough people to sign up. So anyway, as some of you may know, I also have some other podcasts going on, The Life of Caesar and The Life of Alexander the Great. Um, And we are doing a Life of Caesar tour. Um, But to be honest, it's a little bit more than, actually, it's a lot more than that. It's Caesar, Alexander, World War II, Napoleon, uh, pretty much whatever we can throw into it. So if any of you are interested in that, um, I'm just going to let you know, you can uh, email me at Ave, A-V-E, at lifeofcaesar.com, and we'll send you all the information. So far, what we know is it's going to be the first 10 days of August, August 1st to August 10th. We're going to meet in Paris, uh, spend some days there, and then go to where Caesar defeated roughly Vercingetorix, and they have a big monument there. We're going to check that out. Then we'll fly to Florence and then go down to Rome and um, see a lot of things there, obviously. And, and that'll be it. So it's going to take 10 days to do all that. But if any of you are interested, I know it's kind of short notice, but we need like, what, four more people to make this tour happen. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So again, I'm just throwing that out. But just email us and uh, we'll be happy to get you all the details. So as far as saying hello to my latest members, I'd like to say hi and thank you to Scott M. from London, UK. Linda H. from Merseyside, UK. Go UK. Uh, let see. Chris F. from Foster City, California and Robert J. from Newberry Park, California. 
All right, California's keeping up with UK. Uh, Mike C., I'm sorry, Mike C., it didn't let me know where you were from, so I, I, I can't do that, but I think it was around the 20th of last month, so you know who you are. Uh, Joel K. from Monroe, Georgia. And I'd like to thank Lois B. from Boynton Beach, Florida, uh, for buying a CD, and Susan, Suzanne G. from High Point, North Carolina, for buying a CD. So thank you very much. And finally, um, I don't know how this happened, but Ian Miles from Denmark, a name from Denmark I can actually pronounce, um, made a donation a long time ago, but it just got whatever, just kind of got into Lost in the Shuffle. But Ian, thank you very much for supporting the show. I really do appreciate it. And there is your much-deserved um attention and praise. So uh, I will see you all as soon as I can uh, with the next episode. We'll go into Battle Axe, finish up Exporter, touch on some stuff in North Africa and Malta, and then jump into Operation Barbarossa. Take care, everyone. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.